All right, Potter Cash with Jason Cush in three, two, one. Pottercast, uh, joined by Jason Cush. Jason, thanks for being on the Pottercast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're sitting here in your office. Jason and I met um, when we both became commissioners on the Arizona Commission <laughs> on the Arts, of all things, and uh, kind of developed a friendship from there. And so I wanted to have you on because you have a you do a lot of interesting stuff. I think you're an interesting guy. Thank you. Do you think of yourself as an interesting guy? Sure. I think I think we really became <laughs> friends. It's more not about the commissions, more because we went through a war together. I think it's really what the bonding is about. We did, yeah. We, we got into the commission at a time when uh, some stuff needed to happen and nobody was really gonna, willing to make it happen. And Jason started making it happen. I was like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Let's let's roll. And so we uh, we went through it. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out well. It turned – The other end – Knock on wood. Yeah, the other side so far. so far is great, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. What, what – what, how did you – and if you told me this before, but – what brought you on to the Commission on the Arts? So how did you get involved in the arts? Because you, you, you own your own company, you build. Um, well, first tell people, what do you do? Cush Construction? Cush yeah, Construction. so I own two companies. I have okay. J.P. Cush Construction. I build single-family homes here in the Valley. Um, currently, I'm working on a uh, infill subdivision up in North Scottsdale. I'll show you some pictures later. Got the first one kind of completed. We've got one lot left to sell in there, working on the next project, all that kind of fun stuff. And then on my other arm, um, I have J.P. Cushion Associates, which is a full-service real estate brokerage. Help people buy and sell homes, you know, that kind of angle. So those are the two things I really do to keep myself, you know, bringing in money. <laughs> right. To pay the bills. <laughs> yeah, and you know, more. support the kids. Yeah. What? Um, how long have you been doing that? Ever since you got out of college? Or? Um, so my background on that is actually I moved to Phoenix when I'm four. I'm 47 now to kind of give you a time frame. Uh, my father is a home builder. My grandfather was a real estate broker. My step-grandfather was a developer. So I kind of was raised in the business. Yeah. My childhood was literally on job sites. Um, I went to ASU. Uh, well, actually, I went to Arcadia High, then went to ASU. Um, after I, you know, my senior year of ASU, I got actually recruited by Philip Morris, of all people. Um, I was a marketing major there. <laughs> didn't, didn't smoke at the time either. But I, everybody always asked that. Uh, they actually recruited the heck out of me. In fact, at least once a month, maybe every other month my senior year, um, they when they were in town, they were taking me out to dinner or lunch and really? kind of getting to know me. And yeah. And so long story short, um, I sat down with them and I said, you know, I, I, I like you guys a lot. I felt Morris, like top 10 brand, right? Coming out of marketing. Um, I, I said, yeah, they want to move me to Northern California. And I said, you know, guarantee me, um, they had Monterey and I think San Francisco were the territories that they had opened. I said, guarantee me Monterey and I will, I'll take the job. And they did. Um, And so I ended up working for them uh, for about four years, got promoted about every 10 months, um, started looking down that after about the third or fourth promotion going, boy, at the end of the day in these big corporations, even the CEO is really doing the job of the lowest rung down there, right? Everything's geared down to the to the lowest rung and I went I don't know if I can do that for 30 years without wanting to kill myself (laughs) um and so about that same time um I was my marriage was kind of getting weird because I got married way too young Uh, don't get married in your 20s people um (laughs) and (laughs) and I had a boss who had left a few years earlier and went to work for Pepsi bottling group 
And she had been recruiting me for a while. So I said to her, I said, look, I don't know if it's me or my marriage or my life or where, if I'm having a midlife crisis at 29 years old. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Um, but she said, come work for me. So I did. I kind of basically took the job saying, I'm going to give it a year, see if it's me, see what it is. Um, and within about three months, I knew it was me and not, not the job. And I missed being in Arizona and I missed real estate and I missed construction. Um, so the quick version is I uh, ended up working there for about a year, um, sold everything in, in Sacramento, which is where I had been living at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm in commuting into the Bay Area three days a week. Um, shoved the money in a bank, rented an apartment in uh, Napa printed out a list of every bonded winery in Napa County and spent almost a year going to three or four different wineries every day, throw the top off on the car and just go drink and meet people and enjoy wine. Um, once I got that out of my system, uh, got a divorce, moved back to Arizona, and it's just been ever since. Start working with my family, getting back into business, the you know, the, the 07 kind of crash happened. Yeah. So I kind of started off on my own on my own real estate brokerage and that's where that came from. And then my own construction company and three kids and everything else later, here I am. So that's awesome. Yeah. What, what was it that attracted you? You said you missed the building, you missed the real estate. What was it about that, that type of business that attracted you? Um, I really love, um, being able to create something in my head, a style, a look, a house, whatever it may be. Um, and then being able to see it done. Mm. I just think that's the, coolest thing it's like <laughs> right. hey i have this vision here it is yeah because <laughs> uh, i find too especially being in construction real estate a lot of people can't envision things <laughs> right try to explain it they, they can't i really i can envision things down to the most minute detail mm -hmm. and it's just neat to to see it done so that's i miss that and i love that were you always that way yeah i think Growing so up? yeah 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 i mean especially um you know like i said we were raised on job sites i have a little brother um whereas i was more the business side and always was i'd go on job sites with my dad, walk around with him, spend time with him, watch what he did with his employees and people. My little brother was over in the back stealing all kinds of scrap wood and materials and shoving them in my dad's trunk and going home and building things. Okay. And we grew up and he became a superintendent and I kind of did the back end the office stuff. So it's it was always in our blood, in our nature to want to do those things. You still do stuff with the family business or are you no, totally separate? No, totally separate. Yeah. yeah. In fact, dad doesn't home build anymore. He does just land deals and, and mm. does that. My my brother got out of the construction business too and started his own little company. And so I'm the only one still in this crazy mess. It. Yeah. So what, did you get in it in 07 on your own? Um, I got back into it in 05. Okay. And I about was about 07, 08 when I started doing it on my own. So a lot of people would think that's the worst possible time to it, do it. It's the worst possible. Yeah, yeah. You chose was, the worst possible time to start a business. Uh, yeah, in, in real estate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially in the real estate. But you, you know, you you had to. I I could buy things cheaper than I could build them at that time. Buy oh, a lot. Right. Yeah. Because um, yep. things were downing fast, and so um, you know, especially those first few. And I had just been remarried, and within a year we had our first kid. Like it was crazy times. Yeah. Um. So you do what you have to do, right? Um. And I, you know, I got very good at short sales and understood that, which also gave me a lot of great lessons. Like lesson number one, when buying a home, if you and your spouse don't have to both be on the mortgage, don't do it. Just put one of you. Because. Change the title and put the other one in. If something was to go to hell in a handbasket, why let both of your credits get destroyed? Right. Let just one of them get destroyed. I mean, there were so many short sales I did where I had, where they ha had that situation where we short sold their house and we went and bought another one the next day because yeah. we were, it was on a different spouses. Killed so. one person's credit, but the other spouse was on the other. Correct. The new loan. And now here they are yeah. 10 years later. And if they're in that same house, 
instead of being owing half, you know, still upside down probably on the one we short sold, his credit or, or her credit's back, whichever one got destroyed. The other house they bought is now worth two or three times more what right. they paid for it. Like right. it was a very good win-win financially for them. So just you learn things and you, you grow and you go. Did you mainly get started on, on the real estate side? By, when I started doing my own? Yeah. Buying and selling. Did you, yeah. did you start with an agency and then did I became did. a broker? Or? I did. I started with, I think my first place I hung my license, I think was HomeSmart, but mm-hmm. don't totally quote me, or Keller Williams, one of the two. I think right. it, was Keller, it was Keller Williams. Um, and did that for a while and um, then eventually kind of sprung off on my own because I just, you know, yeah. I think it goes back to when I was a younger, I actually wanted to be a Navy pilot. Like growing up, that's Is that right? what I wanted to do. And one of my best friends in college, who's still a good friend, um, he ended up being an Air Force pilot. Um, but the only reason I think I ended up not doing it, it was that whole, just a boss for the sake of a boss. It doesn't matter if oh, they yeah. were, like, I just, I can't do it. If you're not, if you don't earn the respect, <laughs> it's just not going to. Yeah, that's pretty structure. structured. It's way that's too structured for me. And that's, I think, what my issue was with corporate life yeah. and everything else, right? Like, that's just not me. Was the Navy probably because you grew up in that in the Top Gun era? I No, um, surprisingly, my mom and my aunt both worked um, for... Uh, what you call it? Um, Van Nuys Airport growing up. Oh, yeah. And when, my, yeah. when I was younger, my parents divorced and I moved back to California for a while. And Van Nuys actually does an amazing air show every year. Mm. Um, and they bring in lots of military aircraft. So I kind of got exposed so and cool. got to hang out with those yeah. guys. I mean, even, you know, I was like 11 years old and I got to go in the cockpit of a B 1 bomber. Oh, like, wow. It's like cool stuff that you just. Yeah. 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 It's funny, me and my buddy decided we, we liked Magnum PI, so we decided we were going to go down and become <laughs> naval intelligence officers. So we went into the recruiting area, and the guy goes, why do you want to be a naval intelligence officer? And we told him why, and he was like, you guys need to leave. Just yeah, go home. Just get go out of here. That's awesome. <laughs> and we're like, that's great advice, dude. Uh, it's not going to be like Magnum PI. So you started in real estate. You're buying and selling houses. When did you move into like buying a piece of property and, and, and building something? Um, I was doing that. I started doing that with my family in 05. Okay. So that's really when I started doing that. So what, 18 years ago? Yeah. Um, and then I put it on hiatus for a while. And then, you know, about five, six, seven years ago, I started doing it again. And is there a, is there a better time, a worse time to do that? Or is it just you do it when you want to yeah, do it? I, I tell people all the time, I, you know, like I said, 40 four years now watching my dad's friends in real estate and watching these cycles that we happen in this town. There's ups and downs, and there's always been ups and downs. The goal is really how long can you hold it for? So if you bought at a high spot, we're going into a low spot, as long as you can hold on to it long enough, the odds are you're yeah. going to make money on it again. It's just a matter of figuring out is is the juice worth the squeeze, right? Right, right. And so what you're, you have, you do one project at a time? I mean, you all constantly have multiple projects going? How do you Yeah, I mean, you do, do, you, you do focus mainly on one project at a time. Like the current one, um, Lomas Verdes Estates, there's six houses in there. They're roughly all about two and a half to three and a half million dollars a pot. Okay. So you're talking, you know, $18 million project. That's, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, and it takes a lot of work and energy. So you do try to focus that. That probably takes up. 70% of my time and the rest is working on like I'm under contract on a new parcel now so we're going through the due diligence and working on that in fact I'm leaving from here with you to meet some people to look at it and get some ideas and do some more due diligence on it so yeah yeah do you since you're a real estate agent, do you find your own parcels and things like that or do you have some people out there looking for you I'm um, both both yeah and then also too like when I sell the stuff I build I don't sell it like I have a I use the company called the brokery they're fantastic they sell everything I build I because I can either build you a house I can sell you a house it's really hard to handhold you on both sides of the aisle yeah it's probably better for, even though you're you're giving up people might say oh you make more money if you do both sure but. you would but is it 
if you're that desperate for the two or three percent commission, you, then there's something wrong there. Something else is wrong there's with your business else, model. There's something else happening <laughs> that's not worth yeah. it. So do you find out? So you've been doing that since 2005. You said with your family. Do you kind of use the same builders, the same real estate guys, the same? Do you get to kind of get into a group that you use for everything? I'm notoriously um, loyal in my life in general. So, for example, like the person who cuts my hair, mm-hmm. um, he's been cutting my hair since I was 21 years old. I mean, even when I was living in California, I would still fly out here a couple times a year to, to get my hair cut by him. <laughs> like, I'm just yeah. ridiculously loyal that way. My title person, I've been using her since 05. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's subs. I, like, my plumbers, um, you know, I've been using them since, like, 08. It just, it just depends on if they're good or not and yeah. pricing. But if, if they're in the ballpark and they're good, I'm just sticking with them forever. You recommend that for business owners, long relationships like that? Or is it better certain, to mix it up a little bit? Certain things are great. Like, my title gal, I'll use as a perfect example. Yeah. I trust her impeccably. If she calls, I'm actually nervous. Yeah. Because she only calls me if, if there's a problem. Right. Because she and I have worked together so long. She knows me so well. There, there, it's just it's something off my plate. I don't have to worry about right. it. Right. I know it's done, and I know it's done right. So, right. and I'm a control freak. So that's a lot for me to give up like that. You're a control freak. Oh, uh, total OCD control freak. You have no idea. Always. Always. Grew yeah, up that way. Yeah. Yeah. Like OCD, <laughs> like counting numbers, counting things, checking doors a million times. That's good for business, though, right? Don't you think? It drives you nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It drives other people nuts just, too? No, it drives me nuts. Oh, it just drives you nuts. Yeah, just I like wake up in the middle of the morning or I wake up at 4, 4 30 in the morning and it just starts. Yeah. And you can't put it away. You think you'd be as successful as you are now if you weren't like that? I uh, don't know. Don't know. Maybe I think I might be more successful if I wasn't like that. Oh, really? Yeah. You think it might hold you back a little bit? Yeah, I think you have to give up control. Okay. I think, you, I, you know, Rome wasn't built by one guy. It, yeah. takes, it takes a team and you, you've got to give up control and build the team and so I'm, i've been working the last six months or so on on that exactly that yeah how do well, I it sounds up? like you do that with like when people earn that like your title person yeah oh yeah those types of things but there's other things still you're like i have to make sure that is correct yeah i'm just trying to speed the process up though and create yeah you know, create those things yeah so, yeah yeah so you started doing that you moved back you're doing all this you're building your real estate how did you get involved in the arts um so I was in Phoenix 2030 Club for a while, okay. uh, fantastic organization. And somehow through that organization from some guys who had been in that and then moved on to like Charos and Thunderbirds and things mm-hmm. of that nature, um, kind of knew about me and I somehow got kind of recommended and got involved with the Phoenix Theater Company. Um, and I was always, be, before even that, I was always involved in and appreciated the arts because both my parents actually were art ma- art history majors growing Oh, really? Up. My wife is a, is a history major. Like, that kind of world is just, I guess it's my safety blanket, yeah. for lack of a better term. It makes me feel good and great. Um, so anyway, so I got involved with Phoenix Theater, and then just from there, it just has spiraled and kind of gotten involved in all kinds of little things here and there, including um, like the Men's Arts Council at the Phoenix um, Art Museum and some, and the, our commissioner status, that there's a commission for the arts, and just kind of spiraling through that. Yeah. Well, how, how long with the Phoenix Theater? Oh, God. When did I join them for the first time? It could have been that long after you it got had, back, right? It had to have been, let's see, like maybe like 2014 15 okay. something so coming along up those, on a decade coming along in those realms it was right when the theater opened the new the hormel theater that they have now okay so and now they're getting ready to 
redo that and create what it was always envisioned to be. So it's been an interesting decade. Yeah, and you and you served a term as president there? I was a, actually a weird, usually term of president there is two years. Excuse me. Um, I ended up having three. Okay. So Was that because during the COVID thing? Uh, was COVID was a, my actually my last year, which happened to be year. the 100th anniversary of the theater, too. So and during COVID? It, oh, it, like halfway through, right? Like we were getting ready for all the yeah. 100th celebrations and parties that we had been working on for like a year and a half, and it was like womp, womp. Yeah, and then like what March? You just there, done yep. in beginning of March. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah, but you're still on there, right? I mean, you do you, do you rotate off at once you're uh, president? You, or you, you do. Stay I changed the bylaws um, to make it so that because when I came on that board, it was like a typical board of some people have been there a really, really long time. Yeah, um, and I'm a big believer on you do want some. Um, some people have been there for a while for the consistency purpose yeah. and know where the bodies are buried and all that kind sure. of fun stuff, right? And so you don't repeat history. But you also need new blood to keep the organization growing and, and all that kind of fun stuff. So we did buy, we did uh, kind of butcher those things and change that out. So it really um, it became you were, you kind of basically could do two, three-year terms and a one-year bonus round if it was needed for whatever reason. Um, like maybe you were president your fifth and sixth year yeah. and they want to keep you around for one year after to help the next president, um, that kind of stuff. And then you had to be off for like, I think three to five years before you could ever try to repeat that cycle again. Yeah. Um, and it's done a great job of, of cleaning that up. Um, but when I was done, um, they kind of liked having me around or something, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But they created a, a, Bill, a Spielberg trustee kind of level position um it's kind of an honorary board position you have no voting rights but you're you know you're in the loop you know what's going on yeah. you can go to any meeting you want um and uh so i was the first person in that and then since we've indoctrinated um you know over the 100 years some really amazing people in the history of that theater yeah yeah and then what was the transition to the commission on the arts i mean uh, not transition you're still doing though yeah i'm still doing but, it. it um the addition yeah. of the commission. Yeah, I mean, I was done being, you know, I was done serving anything on on the arts. Yeah. On a on a physical, like you're on an arts board and doing physical work. Mm -hmm. Even though a lot of people on boards, as you know, don't do anything, uh, <laughs> <laughs> except for make sure they put it on their LinkedIn. That right. They're on they like board. the title. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was looking for something, you know, new to do to spend my time that I I really did want to be arts focused again. Yeah. Um, and didn't know if I, you know, want to be in another arts board necessarily. Um, especially, you know, I do have some loyalty to the theater from that sure. standpoint. Didn't want to definitely go to another theater. Um, and the Arts Commission kind of came up through some recommendations of some people I knew and got interviewed, and the rest is history. Biggest difference between being on a nonprofit board theater and being on a government commission? The bureaucracy. You'd agree, right? The bureaucracy. Yeah. I mean, the bureaucracy is – you have bureaucracy and – nonprofits. Right. Um, what I loved about the theater was the theater really runs itself like a business. Um, they're very entrepreneurial, <laughs> um, yeah. which is, is great. Um, I mean, God, they even own real estate. Like, how many nonprofits own real estate? Like, yeah. It's, they're just, they think through things. Um, the, 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 uh, the, the side that we're on with the commission is the exact opposite side of that coin. So it's very, right. it's very interesting to, and you and I have had conversations on how they think and, where they're blocked in and that's how sometimes I think that blocked in really creates blinders. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and they can't, they can't see past their own hand and that is detrimental. Right. Right. What do you think as far as the theater? Why do you think, um, I mean, they seem a little different than a lot of the other nonprofits for things you mentioned. Why do you think that is? It's just the leadership. It's the leadership. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the leadership and the culture that they've, they've done there. 
Yeah. How, how long has the executive director and artistic director been there now? 20 years. Both, right? Both of them. Yeah. 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 So, so have you noticed, like, with, with leaders especially, and especially with boards, you mentioned you want to get different people on and off the boards, new blood. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes you can get stuck in sedentary thinking. But as an executive director, do you like having those people there in a long, a long term? Um, yeah, I think if they're doing the job well, right? Mm-hmm. It, that's and as long as they're con- they're continually reinventing themselves and reinventing the organization, then yeah, um, and th- and they do and they do a great job of that. Um, also, because they have a you know they have a great third party coach that they bring in, mm. um, and it's and and she is so tied in to that world across the whole country, and she can bring in best practices and not and. You know, they can spitball ideas off of her that maybe have been tried somewhere else and where they worked or didn't work or why yeah. they failed. And it really is just that cycle of continually trying to not rest on your laurels mm-hmm. and keep the keep the ball moving forward. Do you think that's just innate in the in the uh, we're talking about the theater specifically yeah, yeah. in leaders? Do you think that's innate in leaders or do you think they kind of that can be learned, that can be taught? That's a good question i've never really thought about it but i think i think true leaders it's innate yeah they're always trying to see you know see the forest through the trees yeah and not afraid to get coaching and not i mean obviously have this is what i believe and this is my vision but i'm also not afraid for somebody to challenge that and see if we can make it better yeah i mean i was talking to actually i had a conversation with vincent the other day because i was going to a mac lunch next door so Mm. i popped my head and said hello and we're talking about some things going on and a new position that they were hiring for and it just his logic on why he was picking a different type of person for that position. It's an old position that they just needed new blood in. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was so impressed by his skill sets of knowing where his strengths and weaknesses were. And he literally went and found somebody that is a weakness of his, that it's their strength and pluck them in that position to help out the overall vision that he was trying to pull forward with the theater. Yeah. And I, I think that's, to me, I think that's the, greatest sign of a leader is their ability to know where am I strong where am I weak and build up the weakness around them yeah. so that the way that the, you know some of the parts is greater than the whole it'll be interesting Arizona you know I got involved in the arts through my kids years ago and uh, now on the commission and starting to meet a lot more arts leaders and things and there's some really great energetic leaders of especially some of the large organizations who I've met yes. there's some really passionate excited people in the smaller organizations that maybe don't have you know, the resources or the training or things like that. But, man, they, they love what they do and they yes. want to make yes. it huge. Um, Arizona, fifth largest, always right around their fifth largest city in the country. And it always seems like we have such low uh, bar for the arts as far as raising money, as far as production, as far as everything. It's so funny to say that. So I've always had a theory on, on that. Mm-hmm. And I think I've told you about it, which is, um, you know, like you said, we're a large city. We have you know, five billionaires in this town now or something ridiculous for right. Yeah. Um, lots of, you know, multimillionaires, lots of money. Um, but my theory was always that, you know, most people in this town, unless you're, um, you know, under like 30 ish, basically, mm-hmm. you probably weren't born here. Um, right. There's a lot of nomads, you know, a lot of people migrate here and move here. And so uh, my theory was, and always has been that m- most of the wealthier, um, weren't born here. So they give a lot of their money back to where they're from rather than giving it here. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I've had conversations with art leaders and all that kind of fun stuff, um, they're, they're like, yeah, I think your theory is 100% dead on. I was sitting literally last week at my favorite pizza place, Lamp Pizza, a plug for, 
for Matt over there. It is the best pizza in town. Um, no offense to Chris Bianco, who I saw yesterday. <laughs> Chris makes a very good pizza too, but Matt is Matt is my favorite. Um, anyway, so I'm sitting at the bar waiting for some pizza, having a beer, and talking to some people on my left and my right, and we're all just talking. And this older gentleman, you could tell he was wealthy just from mm-hmm. demeanor and what he's wearing and you know watch and ring and everything <laughs> right, else, right? right? And we were talking, you know, he said that he's lived here off and on for, you know, 20 years or something, 30 years. Typical snowbird mm-hmm. back, you know, Wisconsin or Minnesota or St. Louis, one of those places in the Midwest is his thing. And, and But he made the comment to me and he said, but, you know, this is, I spend more time here now. This is really home and has been for like 10 years. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's fascinating. I said, um, I said, do you donate to, you know, to, to nonprofits and the arts? He's like, of course. I said, which ones in town do you donate to? And he said, none. Everyone was back there. I said, this is not your home. You give, you give to your home, yeah. not your vacation house. And so you can't tell me out of one side of your mouth, this is your home right. because this is the cooler place, but yeah. then not help make this a cooler place by giving your, 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 your treasure and your time. Um, you give it back to a place that you don't even want to be. Yeah, and you're not even there very long. Yeah. So is it is it guilt? Is it what, what is that? But the, I think that's a huge, huge disconnect um, in the nonprofit world in this state, and and something we've got to figure out how do we change that yeah. conversation and that mentality. Yeah, and that might be somewhere where the Commission on the Arts can help out because we can kind of help craft that um, that that um, that idea and that thought and that that wording and everything out there and get it out to the world because. At the end of the day, when I talk to these arts leaders, they all want arts in general to succeed. Sure. But they have a job, so they spend 80% of their time thinking about their organization. Of course. Of right? Course. And so to get them to get together, they'd love to, but they need some leadership to kind of help them put together some commonalities and things like that as far as how they spend their time. So at least that's what I was thinking. No. How do we spend money from a commission standpoint on educating the general public and these arts organizations on how to raise capital here yeah. in Arizona for Arizona. Cause that's the message is exactly what you said. You know, yeah. there, there, there's a lot of, cause that's always the thing I've heard. I've heard that a little bit too, but I've always, I mean, I'm always like, there's a lot of wealth out here in there's Arizona. And by the way, there's, like I made know, the comment around. about the billionaires, like they all give very generously in this. Yeah. So I'm not pinning them out. I'm just right. saying, you know, wealth follows wealth. So there's always people under them and it, there's just a lot of wealth in the state that I think proportionally is giving to other places that rather than give here. Right, right, yeah. And that, you know, it'll be interesting where we're at in, in well, the whole world will be interesting in 25, 30 years. Oh. But it will be interesting when, as you mentioned, you know, my kids were all born here. I wasn't, but my kids were born here. When they get to the point in their careers, whether they're wealthy or not, but they start giving to things that are important to them, the arts are, yeah. you know, where, I mean, they're, if they don't live in Arizona, it'll probably be somewhere else, but the ones that stay here, It'll be their home, right? Yeah. I mean, your kids, if they stay in Arizona, say, hey, this is where I was born and raised. This is where I want to give my stuff. So it'll be interesting how that dynamic changes in 10, 15 years. Yeah, and I'm not saying you should give all of it to Arizona, but, you know, proportionally, like, hey, if you're 60% here, then maybe 60% of it should be donated yeah. here, right? Like, yeah. figure out what's appropriate when, to you, but not nothing or 10% when you're spending at least half your time how, how and calling guy, it your home. I wonder how that guy at the bar would react to that. I he used – he, he – he was very talkative all night, and after I said that, he was no longer talkative. Oh, okay. That's too bad. I wonder if, if some people would go – I wonder if he'd go home and think about it and go, gosh, dang it. You know what? He, it, he might be right. He, no, it made, you could tell it made him think. Like, yeah. That's a – yeah. yeah. I mean, it's valid, right? It's a, I mean, even if the guy decides, well, I don't care. I do live here. I'm still going to give all my money back there because 
it makes me feel good. It's sure, tradition. whatever. My parents did it, yada, yada, yada. That's where I was raised. Yeah. I mean, I have that for Kansas City. I was raised in Kansas City, so I have this soft spot in my heart for Kansas City, right? Sure. But even if, but just having them think about it, I think a lot of people would go, yeah, I should be doing that, you know, because it's where I live now. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. So, um, did you, so you were back in, Southern, in Northern California, and then you came out here. Haven't gone back, haven't, like, oh, go back to visit, but haven't gone back, thought about, I want to move back you to California. You couldn't pay stuff. me, you couldn't pay me enough to go back to live in California. Because of it's just, everything? Just, just everything. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I always use this analogy with people, like, because it's, I, I think all my friends are, um, are truly libertarians at heart and don't, yeah. and don't, you know, know it or admit it. Um, but, like, California, here's a perfect example. Like, the, the, the philosophy is great, like. In the next couple of years, I think they put like 2025, they want all vehicles to be electric. I heard that, yeah. You know, fantastic. The idea is fantastic. Sounds it sounds great. I love it. I want to save this world for my kids, for my future grandkids that I don't like. It's important. It, we, it's important. The big problem is, is California right now has rolling blackouts every summer because they don't have enough electricity for the things they have. And they're closing down all their coal plants, their nuclear plants. So they're making less electricity. And you want to increase the amount of electricity you need. What are you going to do to make that happen? And they don't have an answer or they haven't done anything. Like they put the cart before the horse. Like yeah. it's great to have a plan, but how you execute that plan is probably the more important thing. And they don't. Um, what's happened to San Francisco right now is a perfect case in point. I mean, they were literally paying people money to not go out and shoot people. They would like literally give you a stipend. It was a law to not go and shoot people. Um, and that town has been, and I love San Francisco. I got married in San Francisco. It was one of my favorite places to hang out. Yeah. Everybody I know is like that town is, it's horrible now. It's not safe. It's yeah. there's open drugs on the street. Like, yeah. You got to think through these things and figure out how yeah. to make them work. These are real problems and they need real answers, not just sound bites or what, you know, makes your, which makes you feel your soul feel good just because right. you said it or put it out there. Like, yeah, LA is about the same. My daughter goes to school yeah. out there, downtown LA, but it's interesting. Then you get outside of LA beach communities or you go up in, you know, Simi Valley and you go up in those areas and California is still one of the most beautiful resource rich it's an amazing place states it's an amazing place in the world yeah. right yeah. and 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 the amount of uh revenue they generate and business they do and everything it's an amazing place They're the it's what, like, sixth largest economy in the world if yeah. it was its own economy by itself yeah. no it's it's an amazing place and um, it's like man it's like it's almost like it's so amazing that as much as you try to destroy it you still can't but it feels like this time and era, it's getting close. It, there, I mean, how many people do, are moving here, Texas, and other places yeah, from Nevada, California? Texas, here, it's Utah, cause, Idaho. Because they, even there, like this, it's too much. You've, yeah. You, you've, you're ruining it. Stop. Yeah. And it's interesting. You, I think it's my cousin had a guy move across the street, and he, he came over and he said, hey, they're from Texas, great people. And they said, hey, how come I'm seeing these bumper stickers like, like – if you don't Californianize Myers, and what does that mean? Yeah. And he explained it to him, and the guy had never even thought of it. And he's like, it means basically you're leaving there because you don't like how the, it's turned out. It yeah. turned out that way because of the politics you voted for. <laughs> exactly so right. So don't go vote here for those same politics. Yeah. And he's a smart guy, so he went, and a thoughtful guy, he went, oh, I never thought about that. And a couple of days later, he came back and said, you know what? You're right. Totally right. But he, he never even connected the dots. No. Of that, no. of, of, of how that happened. I know they're having issues with that in Idaho. But it goes to the you same know, thing. You know, people moving there from California and stuff. It goes to that conversation earlier, right? Like the 
that we wanted everything to be electric, but we didn't figure out a plan. It's yeah. the same concept. It's the same philosophy of, I think this is a great idea. Great. It is a great idea. How are you going to execute said great idea? Right. <laughs> yeah, the execution is pretty important. The execution is... <laughs> it's kind of what matters, it, right? It's the most important spot. Now, did you always think this way? That Did you grow into this kind of thinking, this thought process? Were you like this as a kid? What? Yeah, I think I was. I was always kind of very logical on, on okay. how I process things and how I went through things. I mean, yeah, that's a great idea, but how am I going to get it done? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, Phil Morris, I think one of the things they really liked about me, they had... Um, they had some, you know, characteristic traits that they really liked. Um, and one of their big things was critical thinking. And I kind of always scored off the charts on all their critical thinking skills. And, yeah. And I, and I don't know if that's something you can teach or not teach. You just, to me, critical thinking is just logic. Yeah. And thinking through things logically. So did you have a bit, did you think about going like to law school or something like that? Or were you always like a no, marketer? I was a horrible student. I, oh, okay. It's so sad. I wish I would have, <laughs> I wish I would have had a better appreciation for my education and everything else. And like, were you smart enough just to get it done and figure it out? And here, so you didn't like, um, Yeah. Or? Like here was, yeah, that's, a, that was the problem. So like, I went to school, I was at issue for five years. Yeah. Um, my Christmas break in my fifth year, which is the middle of, you know, semester break, right? My parents sent me down, my dad, my stepmom, and said, look, we know you're having fun. We wanted you to have fun, uh, but we're not paying for it anymore after the semester. You need to finish and get the hell out of school. This is your fifth year? It's my fifth year. <laughs> your parents are so nice. <laughs> Super nice. <laughs> Super nice. And I was so blessed because, like, the only good thing that came out of my parents getting divorced, um, besides the fact that they probably shouldn't have been married, which is, you know, that's a whole other story. Sure. But, um, I, you know, a, a college fund was set up. And mm. so I had... I, school was paid for, rent was paid for, food was paid for, like it was taken care of. Yeah. Um, and I was working part-time selling pools for paddock pools, making pretty decent money. And that was literally party money. So I just was, I was, I was having a good time. And you had to go to class every now and again. Well, I barely did that. And that's a story. <laughs> that's the second part of the story. But so I went to the counselor and said, what do I need to graduate? I told her the story. She looked, she's like, you only need one class to graduate. She's like, you've only needed one class to graduate for a year. She's like, you're actually signed up for it now. So you're good. But like, <laughs> yeah. I just didn't want to ever leave. Who would have known? And I didn't want to leave because I was the guy that literally, I went to first class, got the syllabus and went, okay, to the syllabus. Um, when I was there, there was a place called Campus Corner, which is, if, if you're familiar with the ASU main campus, off of um, University, kind of where the Methodist Church is near Old Main. Yeah. Across the street from that's another church. And right behind that was a little place called Campus Corner. It was like a convenience store, basically. Yeah. Well, in the back, they had a little room that had one of those doors that the top would open and the bottom, and you could, you know, make... The, the top was always open. You'd knock on it. You could go and buy your class notes for most of the big classes. Somebody was in there taking notes, and then you could just buy the notes. So I would literally, once a week, buy the notes. I would read the chapters. I'd go take the test whenever I have them. So I basically showed up for test, midterm, final. That's the only time I ever went to class. <laughs> and as long as I did those things, I could get a B or C without even trying. So I would much rather sit by the pool on a day like yeah. today, reading my book and my notes, than sitting in a boring class. So you obviously were passing all the classes because you only needed one left. You were just... Yeah. C's get degrees, right? Like that yeah. was the... You just not, weren't really dedicated to your studies. Which is which is a shame because <laughs> I do love school and I love yeah. the concept of school, especially as I've gotten older. Um, that just wasn't ingrained in me enough as a kid. And um, yeah. So I'm trying to. Why do you think that was? Why do? Because I, I meet a lot of people, especially business owners. They're they're the most inquisitive people. Yeah. They love to learn. They love to acquire knowledge. School doesn't fit. Yeah, I don't because it's the structure probably maybe. Yeah. It's that structured aspect of it. Yeah. And maybe maybe too. I mean, 
it's usually stuff they're interested in, right? Yeah. You know, and so the stuff they're not interested in, there's not a compelling enough case made by the school other than you have to do this yeah. for them to get interested in it. That that's And I'm watching that now with my eighth yeah. grader who's about to be ninth grade. It's like she's having senioritis her eighth grade year because she knows she's not going to yeah. stay there for ninth. Um, and she doesn't want to set up for ninth because that is so structured. You have like she has no options on what she can. Yeah, prep take. school. Yeah, yeah. So she wants to like she's going into public school because she wants to have some options and some choices and be able to make some classes that interest her. Yeah. <laughs> um, which I, I totally understand. Yeah. Um, but it's and also too that the as great as I'm I love that place and how great it is, its high school is not geared towards the way college admissions work. Mm. It doesn't matter how great that education is. Yeah, this is how the college admission game is played. You got to play the college admission game because fundamentally, the college is the most important thing. Like I try to explain to my daughters, like you, she's like, "Where do you want me to go?" I'm like, "I want you to go to the best school you can get in. That is, yeah. that is the goal. Whatever is the best school you get in, that's where you want to go." Yeah, yeah. How how old are they? Uh, Avery, my oldest, is fourteen. Uh, Chloe, my middle, is finishing fifth grade, and she is 11. And Ella is my youngest at 10. Okay. She's in fourth grade. Three girls. Three girls. Wow. Yes. It's <laughs> it's always interesting. It's a group there at the house, at the yeah, homestead, but is, huh? Uh, but being a parent now, what, we're basically Ubers and ATMs, right? Like that's <laughs> <laughs> I was just talking to another guy I did a podcast with, and he was like, he was like, I'm the unpaid Uber. And I go, no, you're not, you're not unpaid. You're actually paying for it. Yeah, like you're, you're paying to be an Uber. Uh-huh. You're paying to go to the club sports, and you're paying for the gas to get to the club sports, and that need these new sneakers for the basketball trip, and the trip is five grand. And it's ridiculous, right? Yeah. Like all I, was in a, I was in an airport the other day with GCU. I was flying back from Reno. They had, <laughs> Good they had, old Reno. Yeah. <laughs> you couldn't get a hotel there. We had to stay in this 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 really was horrible the landing Radisson. Like this? Oh, oh yeah, the Reno Rodeo. As you come in yeah, to land over the mountains, it's always fun. Yeah. Um, they had they had nine hundred club volleyball teams in that town for a tournament. Yeah, it's crazy, right? And I'm at the airport. and I'm thinking, I think club sports is single handedly keeping the hotels and the airlines in business. It probably is, because I looked around and like eighty percent of the people on my flight were club teams that they were flying back to Arizona. They were I, I don't know which team it was. Yeah, yeah. But it was crazy. I mean, like, it, it's club sports. It's also like club cheerleading. Like it's all that, right? All that. Yeah. I'm not saying that club cheerleading isn't a sport, but just yeah. Oh, I know you get in trouble for that now. It, it, well, it is a sport. <laughs> it wasn't a sport back when I grew up, and it's <laughs> it's a sport as gymnastics. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's insane, it's, man. It, it's really and insane. My, my buddy's daughter did that at California Baptist, and like he would tell me her workout routine, and I'm like, dude, she's a D1 athlete, yeah, man, He's all like, day yeah, long. She is. It's it's insane. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. my daughter does ballet at Ballet Arizona, you know, and I mean she's. She's it's she's like an athlete from you know four four o'clock to seven o'clock every night. All just day working long. out. Yeah, you know, like crazy. It's pretty funny. So so what's the future hold? You you like what you're doing? You like your gig? You buy more buy more land, build I more do. houses? I do it. I do. I love what I do. I love my little life. I love my wife. Love my kids. It's yeah. It's, it's good. I'm I'm I don't want to say you're I'm content because I guess that sounds horrible, but I'm content, yeah. right? Yeah. What what do you think? Like, I mean. We've had these dips. We've had these things. We've had the interest rates go up and stuff. Yeah. And I just still see construction everywhere, and I yep. see people buying it all the time. Yep. I mean, the rate was 2.5. People were buying like crazy. The rate's 7.5. People are buying like crazy. Like, what, what what's going on? A, a couple things. One is, um, and again, this is completely an opinion, right? Yeah. Um, 
one is a six or seven percent rate is actually more towards the average. The two, three, four percent rate was like oh, a gift from God, and it was nuts, and it should never have happened. And the fact that it did is crazy, and you should keep it, and blah blah blah. Right? Whatever. Right, right, right. So, <laughs> Don't get rid of that house yeah, if you're yeah. two and a half. So, so, so that's number one. Number two is um, the Great Recession created a. Um, if you look at a chart on how many houses we, especially like Arizona or the state, the states in general, how many houses we build every year for, you know, people give birth and we give birth more than people die and we have people moving in. So we continually need more houses. It's not a stagnant thing. It's a growing thing. Um, it fell off a cliff hmm. during the Great Recession for years because I made that comment earlier. I could buy things cheaper than I could build them. Mm -hmm. um, we've never caught back up. It's going to take a generation to honestly get caught up, especially with these weird cycles we're having. So we're always going to have a supply and demand issue. Economics 101, mm -hmm. which I did show up for those classes, even though I show up for a lot of them, <laughs> it's pretty simple. Like, right? The more demand, the less the supply, what happens to prices? Yeah. So between, I don't care, as long as rates are reasonable, not create not 13 14% like in the you know early 80s right yeah. but as long as they're in the average reasonable which is where they're at and you have supply and demand issues prices aren't going anywhere on houses which we we watched them click a little bit and honestly the little bit of click we saw was because stuff in buckeye was almost going for as much as stuff in arcadia like they're not the same market they shouldn't right, right. be near the same price so guess what buckeye's getting back to a more reasonable price point but Arcadia is not. Arcadia is still going up. Yeah. Right? right. So it's location, right? It's, it's fundamentals of real estate location, 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 supply and demand. Like those are going to be the things that come into play here. So, yeah. you know, big picture, not worried at all. Even low, short term picture, not worried at all. What I am worried about, which is a weird wild card, and you mentioned it, um, is there are a lot of people with three or four percent interest rates. I don't care how much equity you have in your house, um, unless you need to move, like you're transferring out of state, as long as your house still works for you, there's got to be a pretty strong argument to sell that house and go buy a new one with a 7 or 8% double right. interest rate. Like you just, it doesn't, we're, I, I personally am in that same spot. We, we've been in our house for 10 years. Last year, you know, like everybody in COVID, we were stared around looking at our house going, God, I don't love this house. Right. Um, and so we gutted it completely and remodeled it. And it's been done basically now for a year. And we love the house. Now it's like, well, why? It's plenty big. Right. We need something bigger, smaller, or bigger. Like, we love the way it looks now. Everything's new. Right. I, mean, I even replaced the air conditioning units a couple months ago. Like, it's all new. Why do I want to sell this to not only increase my mortgage because the house I'm going to buy is going to be more expensive than this, but then my payment's going to exponentially go up because of the interest rate? Like, does it make right. sense? Wouldn't I rather use that money to travel? Right, exactly. Or and the, and the equity is still going to be there. Yeah, it's so that, that's, but that's going to put more pressure right on supply. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so that's going to force price. It's, it's a viciously feeding cycle. Right. That's right. my fear. Yeah. Why, why is that a fear? Because you think that, that more people will stay put, so yeah. there'll be less supply, so there needs to be more no more new builds? Yeah, and then how do you – and more affordable new builds, too, for, like, new people, right? First-time buyers. That's the problem, here, like, right, the affordable, right? And the, and the cities are all – the nimbyism, the not-in-my-backyard of people is just ridiculous. And Nobody wants affordable housing in their neighborhood. Nobody wants affordable housing in their neighborhood. Nobody wants anything new in their neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, like, my project I'm working in now – um, 
the people that are on one side of me, the eight acres was pure desert. I think in their head they thought it was going to be pure desert forever. Like they yeah, got they frustrated that there were <laughs> houses being built behind them. Like, no, that's yeah. just because it's not just your <laughs> thing. So yeah. it's just. I got a buddy who bought some land up on one of the mountains and. The minute he decided to start building, man, it was lawsuit after lawsuit. Of course. And they were frivolous. They knew they were going to lose, but these people had the money, and they were trying to get him to not build because they wanted to be able to see the mountain pristinely. But it's like, unless you buy all that land behind you, it's not yours. somebody's going to buy no, it, exactly. and then they have the right to build on it's it. It's exactly so. right. Like, what, do you, what do you think we do about affordable housing? Because, like, I, I don't know what affordable housing, housing is anymore. Is affordable housing a first-time buyer, like, 450 grand now? Yeah. 350, 400 grand? It is. In it, a decent neighborhood? Yeah. I mean, I—, I because you're right. I bought my first house. I bought an older house that needed to be fixed up sure. in a neighborhood that was on the border of Arcadia, but it wasn't Arcadia. So it was, you know, and so there was, it was, it was a great house as a starter house Yeah, and it was affordable and we got it and it was awesome. Where are those nowadays? Yeah. It's the outskirts, right? The, the old, the old acronym in this town was drive to qualify. So you just keep driving well, it's out. It's kind of back to that. It's, and then we're moving back to that, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Right. Because um, there was a point where it didn't matter where you were. It was all $1,000 a square foot or $500 a square foot, right? Right, right, right. So we need we need cost to be leveling off and realistic. It's, you know, it's just people yeah. have got to get realistic. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, thanks a lot for the time. It was fun. I know we've got uh, some more commission stuff going on. Maybe we'll get reappointed on the commission. I don't know. We'll, we'll wait and see what the governor does with the new governor and everything. They finally passed a budget, though. I, quickly that was good for great. us, right? Five great. million bucks. I mean, still one time, but. It was great for the commission. I think there's no room for them to be uh, be banned. And I, what I liked the most about them passing budget was everybody worked together and got it done. Like, yeah. there was compromise. It yeah. wasn't what the, what the governor wanted. It wasn't what the legislator wanted. Everybody compromised. And that's what it should be. And we're seeing this. I'm watching the news today. That's what we're seeing with, you know, the deficit. The, all last week, or in the weeks going up to it, the president and um, and, and everybody else on the, on the left was like, we're not negotiating. Just cl- pass a clear rate, you know, clear increase and now all of a sudden they're all negotiating yeah like that's how this works like and maybe we're getting more back to that i mean i grew up in the reagan era when he and tip o'neill disagreed about probably politically almost everything yeah but they got in a room and they respected each other and they worked it out they respected each other and their opinions and they worked it out how it needs to be yeah get yeah. that and then get some term limits on congress and life will be good oh man term limits on congress that would be a good one huh it, it's the Kind of Our no founding brainer. fathers never they, – they looked at those two they positions. They limited themselves, man. Well, they were like, I don't want to do this They forever. thought nobody would want to do it forever That's because, right. like, this, like, you just do it. You, you were do, supposed to get rich. You're a it. civil servant. <laughs> yeah. You do it to, you know, do your part it's and help make an, this place better, yeah. not make it a full-time career. Like, nobody wanted yeah. it as a full-time career. It was a bit of a nuisance, right? They're like, okay, I'll go serve my time, for serve my country, and I'm going to get that back to my farm or my legal Ted Ted Cruz, every time he gets elected, introduces a new bill for term limits. Every time. Ted Cruz, of all people. Like, you would think, like, your head's like, Ted Cruz probably wants to be there for life. He does one every time. That's funny. Yeah, that's interesting. They almost had him when uh, Gingrich was running the show, and then they all, I remember, because I remember Matt Salmon left because of that, because they all, uh, they all said they were going to do that, and they had it up there, and then all they all they all realized how nice it was yeah. to be up part of the swamp, and they went, ah, I don't think I'll vote for that. <laughs> no, it's, it's so, so, but they, they need, it needs to. It, it needs, needs to. It, needs it, to. it will save our democracy. Yeah, it would definitely help for sure. Well, like you said, new blood, right? New ideas, new well, people need like to that, come how in. How do you buy? How do you pay for somebody that's only there for two terms? Exactly. You, you they really, know. you They're really like, can't. 
doesn't matter to me. I'm gonna I'm gone in in, in four years. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing exactly. the right. I'm here. I'm gonna do the right. You know, you, obviously you're gonna have some people that are gonna get bought or sold. Sure. Or whatever, like, but you'll you'll drain out eighty percent of it. Yeah, yeah. So are you gonna run for? Oh God no. Why not? God no. God no. The whole thing we talked about with the the, no. the, the bosses and the. But you would work for the people. Like I know. You would. You would. It would be. I, too much. I would be honored and would love it. I don't know if I could do it though <laughs> i don't we know we need some people to jump in and blow some stuff up you know I, that's the i don't know if i could play the I, <laughs> i'm good at getting in there and calling it as i see it and blowing stuff up i don't know if i could play the game that works in a two to four you know a two term yeah it works great and that's why i think it should be that way but <laughs> right right because you're not afraid to speak your mind and, and be honest and you know in two two to four years you're not trying to make a career out of it no and we have i mean we have people like cinema and um She's been a she's been a nice she's, not what I expected. No, breath of fresh she's air. great. Uh, uh, what's his name from Utah? Um, oh my God, I'm having a brain lapse. Um, who ran for president? Oh, uh, I am too. I knew you're talking but about Romney. Mitt Romney. Yeah, 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 Mitt Romney. Like you've got a few guy, few guys and gals in there around there that are truly trying to be centrist. Yeah, which is where really the the country is, but. The, unfortunately, I think the loudest voices are on the far right and the far left, and that's just not good for yeah. for anybody. But we're starting to see things. I mean, look at we saw Fox clean house. We saw CNN clean house. Yeah. Um, we saw CNN actually put Trump on a town hall. Yeah. Like, I almost fell out of my chair when I saw I that. I know. I've like, seen the clips of that on Instagram, and I was like, wait a minute. What is this? Yeah. it's on. Like, it, like when I was growing up, the news was the facts, and then they had a thing called an editorial, and they would say, like, hey, I'm doing right. an editorial, and then they would tell you their opinion. Right. The news now is all editorial, but they don't preface it saying, this is an editorial. They, they tell you it's news, <laughs> and it's not. It's an editorial. So, right, right. I mean, granted, all news is always slanted a little bit. Sure. It's just the nature of where it's coming from. But they really did try to get to that centrist spot until they got into, quote-unquote, the editorial, at which point right. they would do their opinion one way or the other. Right. Right. So I'm hoping we can try to get back Yeah, it'll be places. interesting another couple of years as we ramp up the presidential election cycle and everything. And it, it'll be very interesting to see how far we go if we stay more centrist, what we do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm somewhat looking forward to that to see, but I'm not looking forward to No, that. it's going to be. A, <laughs> I think it might be a train wreck. It's going to be a train wreck, which we can't take our eyes off of, but it's going to be a train wreck. Yeah. Hey, Jason, thanks a lot, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for listening to the Pottercast. We'll see you next time. Thank you.